0: Hey, I'm Mike, one of the pastors here at Trinity Life Church. This is your first time here. Um, like Bruce said earlier, there's a connect card that you got in your program. Just fill that out, and you can put in the offering bag as it goes by later. And uh, let that be your offering to us today. Uh, like Bruce said, we're just going to send you one email. We won't hound you. We won't put you on a list. We'll just send you one email for a coffee or lunch. And then. Um, and also, guys, if you, if you want to use that connect card for prayer requests or... Anything else, like somewhere you want to serve or get involved, like put that on there as well. For those who have been, been uh, around training life for a while, you can do that as well. So I'm really excited. Uh, Daniel and I were in the States this week. We were in the Dirty South in Hotlanta. Yeah, and I felt dirty after a while because we ate the most horrible food. <laughs> we just ate horribly. I don't know what it is, but whenever I go to the States... I eat the worst food possible. I eat, like, all the bad food. Um, and I don't know, I just, I just felt, like, horrible throughout the week. I feel lethargic and tired. Um, but the food there is also a little different. I don't know. Um, like, if you go to a restaurant that's in the States and and the same restaurants in Canada, like, it just tastes healthier here. Like it, I don't know if you've ever had an Oreo cookie. If you have an Oreo in... In the States and an Oreo in Canada, it tastes different. Like, it's actually like a healthy Oreo here. Try it, I'm telling you. It's because, like, here, we, like, some processed sugars are outlawed or some, some ingredients, like, we don't, we don't allow in foods. In the States, they're like, we don't care. So, um, and I say that um, being American... So I'm excited about this series we're in, guys. God's story. We launched it last week. We celebrated our two-year anniversary last week, and uh, we're really just taking this series and we're talking about who we are in Jesus Christ. Like why why the Bible exists. Why this is our story. Why this book here is 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 our story. Like why we can fit ourselves into it. So. This series is called God's Story, but it's, it could also be called Your Story, because this is your story. And the Bible is, I mean, I don't know what, uh, what walk of life you're, you're coming from, what road you're coming from. These, uh, this might be your first time in church in a very long time. It might be your first time in church ever. Um, you may have grown up in church, and you still might not know this. The Bible is the story of mankind and it's from a singular perspective, okay? It's from God's perspective. And so the words we read in here, um, it's God giving them to us to say, this is how I've crafted you. The Bible is, especially we were in Genesis last week, and we're going to be in Genesis this week, as Catherine read. It's a testament to how God is intricately, personally, involved in who we are and what we're here for. God is a personal God, and we see that in here. And the Bible is is kind of, uh, it's, it's a story of all stories. Uh, in the Bible, there's what's called a meta-narrative, a, a narrative that is overall things that kind of binds all 66 books that are in one book together. But the Bible is also a meta-narrative for us, for humans, for us as God's creation. It's it's a story that binds all of history together. And that's what God is giving to us. And so most importantly, the Bible is a book that's written, compiled, composed for you. And that's how you should look at this book. That when God gave this to us, he actually gave it for us. For us. Um, so that we would know him. And so how does this work? Like how does God operate in this um, at Trinity Life, we talk about hear, trust, and obey. If you've been at Trinity Life for any length of time, you've probably heard those words used together. Hear, trust, obey. That's what our discipleship paradigm is. And simply, that is what we say is a measure for, your, um, for how you follow Christ. So are you hearing God? Are you trusting his voice enough to obey it? This is straight out of the Gospels, John 10. Jesus says, my sheep, the people that follow me, they hear my voice. They love my voice. They obey my voice, and and um, and they and they know my voice. And so, uh, that's that's what we talk about at Trinity Life a lot: hearing hearing God's voice, trusting it enough to obey it. So, there's different ways that you can hear God's voice. And so, if you haven't been in church, if uh, that might sound very mystical to you, hearing the voice of God. Oftentimes when we read the scriptures and we see God speaking, uh, we, we assume in the Old Testament that God speaks audibly because it says God spoke, and we just assume that means God spoke audibly. Sometimes that's probably true, sometimes uh, it might not be true, because some other instances it says the word of the Lord came to Abraham, or the word of the Lord came to Moses, and so... Uh, let's talk about that for a second, just different ways God speaks to us. So God speaks through this, right? This is his, his book, and I'll just say uh, right up front, God only speaks to me audibly like every other day. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I've never heard God's audible voice. Uh, so how, and some of you may have, but I, I, I think it's safe to say that most of us in here have never heard God speak audibly to us. So then how does God speak? Well, Here's the primary means God God has spoken to us and still is speaking to us today. It's through the scriptures. It's because this is all God speaking. Any any part in here is God showing us something about who He is. Uh, how about through other people? Uh, God, if you didn't believe that, you wouldn't be sitting here right now. If you didn't believe God speaks through other people, because hopefully that's what God's doing through me right now. Uh, Hopefully God does that through your parents. Hopefully God does that through your friends and in the church. God speaks to us through, through others. Uh, God speaks through nature, the Bible says. We can look out, uh, as I say nature, I'm pointing to this brick building over here. <laughs> There's a tree sticking up above the building. Uh, God speaks to us through nature. That's general revelation. It says in Romans that, that God uh, reveals himself, that you can look at nature and say, gosh, there has to be a God. Um, the people who say who say opposite of that have just denied it. The Bible says, um, and just have perpetuated themselves into a lie. Well, what else? How about song? We just sang some songs. Art, music, um, different different forms of of art and music. Uh, God can speak through uh, prayer. We we pray. We did some we did some prayer in the service earlier. Uh, prayer isn't just a monologue. Prayer is a dialogue. God can speak to us through that. Through through silence and meditation and and prayer. Uh, There's so many ways that God can speak. Um, One of the ways that I feel like we use the most, but is the least reliable means of hearing God's voice, is through circumstances. So just think about that in your life. A lot of times we're like, oh, yeah, I lost my job, so that's a sign that God wants me to get another job. Or, you know, something happens and we say, that's a sign for this. And we interpret our circumstances and we interpret things uh, one way uh, and it may be right or wrong. And that's, that's what actually a lot of us do the most, but I would say that's the least reliable way only because it takes a lot of experience to really interpret circumstances uh, when they happen. Most times it happens like this. We look back and we say oh yeah, I see what God was doing and what he was trying to tell me through a circumstance. And through that, maybe we learn for the next time it happens, in the next circumstance. And so, I want to say circumstances, is that's a legit way to do it, but it's, it can get very nebulous. It can get very cloudy at times. So those are all ways God speaks. Um, but the Christian life isn't just about knowledge. The Christian life isn't just about mere belief. The Christian life is about faith lived in action. It's about hearing the voice of God, trusting it enough to obey it. And just some practicals for that, uh, just one practical, like, because we can go through life and not be tuned to hearing what God's speaking to us. Uh, every morning when I wake up, I say a few words. I just, the first thing I say when I wake up in the morning, is, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. This is coming out of 1 Samuel chapter 3. Samuel says it to God when God calls him, and there's no magic in it. I just say that to say, okay, I want to listen to God today. And I say to God, you can speak to me. I'm listening to you. And, and then I go about my day. That's just a practical way to tune ourselves to hearing to hearing God, just to be aware of it, just to be conscious that God does speak, that he is speaking, that he wants to talk to me today through a person, through the scriptures, through prayer, through dreams, through visions. Maybe he wants to speak to me audibly today, and I've been, I've been quenching that, I've been pushing that away. Who knows? So that's just one practical. But also, hearing God isn't just about doing something, Okay. Hearing God isn't just about saying, God, what do you want me to do? What are my next steps in life? Where do you want me to go? Hearing God is also about just knowing God. Think about this. Think about your closest relationship right now, whether it's your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your, your best friend, your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your closest relationship. What if that relationship was just you asking them for something all the time? And, or the other side, what if that relationship was just them telling you what to do all the time? I mean, where's, where's the love and where's, where's trust, where's love, where's, is that an intimate relationship? Is that actually, would you actually call that a genuine relationship? If all you did was say, if all I said to Missy was, hey, um, what do you want me to do for my next step in life? What's your will for my life? Where do you want me to go tomorrow? What should I do today? Um, should I talk to this person? That would get pretty annoying, right? Should I brush my teeth today? I think she'd say yes. <laughs> should I, you know? But think, if you think about it, that's hearing God for a lot of us, when we seek God and we pray to God, that's a lot of what it entails for us. It's, God, what do you want for this? What do you want for this? And that's not bad, but if that's all of our relationship for hearing God, then we may have missed God. Did you hear that? If we seek God, if we seek Him and we know Him, then we'll know what He wants for us. If we just seek what He might want for us, then we might miss who He is. Like, I know what Missy wants. I know she wants me to brush my teeth because I know she likes clean breath. (laughs) You know, I, I get to know Missy because I know her likes, her dislikes, her character, her personality. I know things about who she is and so I don't have to ask her all the time what she wants me to do. I know that she likes me to help. Uh, we like to cook together, for instance. Or she likes me to help bathe the girls. Like, she doesn't want to do that by herself. Um, and I'm the same way. I don't want to do it by myself. <laughs> like, it's nice. And we have two people doing, doing it. Uh, because I know I know her character, right? And so in the same way with God, if we know who God is, if we seek him, we're going to get the next steps. But if we're just constantly seeking the next steps and, and what we say God's will is for our life, then you may miss God altogether. And so, hearing God is about seeking Him. And the better we know God, the better we'll know how to live for God. And if you seek God, you will live out, hear, trust, and obey. Like, it will just happen because you're seeking, you're seeking God. Okay. So let me show you how God weaves a story. Um, let, let's throw up that chart. People often talk about. So we're in Genesis. We are. Um, we're in the beginning of Genesis. Genesis is a big story of beginnings. That's what Genesis means, right? So it's this big story of beginnings, and God is so intricately, intricately involved in these, in moving pieces around and guiding the story. That it's really amazing. And a lot of times we talk about the patriarchs in the Old Testament. You know, the father figures. But Genesis is as much about the matriarchs, the mother figures, as it is about the patriarchs. And this, this kind of uh, highlights that as well. So, let, let's walk. So, Noah starts in Genesis chapter 9. But before then, Adam and Eve are on the scene. God creates them. First man, first woman. Sin enters the world because of their disobedience. The fall happens right? And things are distorted. But God gives Eve a promise. And he says, the Messiah is going to come through you. And he's going to save mankind. He's going to redeem, he's going to redeem what, you've, what you've done. And so Eve happens. They have two sons, Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel. Cain gets banished. They have another son, Seth. And it's Seth that the line of the Messiah, of Jesus, comes through. So Seth has kids, Seth happens, and it leads to Noah. And so that gets us to Noah. Noah has three sons. He has Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Shem, and remember this for later, Shem's name actually means name. Okay? Sounds weird. Like, why would you name your kid name? But his, his name means that, and we'll see why that's significant later. So Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Uh, Shem is the guy who's chosen, and so God chooses sons, and he chooses sons because the name is preserved, right? So he chooses sons for the lineage to go down. And he chooses Shem here. He chooses name, and Terah comes, comes through him, and Terah is Abraham's father. You see Abraham's second uh, f- from the left there, Haran, Abraham, and then uh, Abraham is married to Sarah. Sarah. And Haran is, is uh, okay, this gets a little weird, because Sarah is Abraham's half-sister. So, Sarah is Sarah's father as well, okay? We'll talk about that another time. Uh, different times, different place, Kentucky. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. If anyone's from Kentucky in here, I'm sorry. If you're listening online, like, I, was, I shouldn't have said that. So... <laughs> Uh, Haran, Abraham, Sarah, Nahor, those are Terah's offspring. And then Abraham gets chosen in there, because Haran actually dies early. So Abraham and Lot, Lot is Abraham's nephew, and then Abraham has two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. And Isaac is the chosen seed. That doesn't mean that Ishmael is cast aside, okay? That doesn't mean that anybody in here is cast aside, because what happens is you see God chooses Isaac for the seed to come through. Jacob and Esau are under Isaac. And then you have all these nations. See at the bottom? You have Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Israelites. And God doesn't cast aside the other offspring when he chooses one. He just chooses one to bring his Messiah. So eventually Jesus comes through the lineage of Isaac, of Abraham, of Terah, of Shem, of Noah. Okay, and that's where the Israelites come through through Jacob there. And what happens is in this like really cool intricate story the Moabites they're they're all they all become like kind of enemies. And what God does through the Edomites, he actually preserves land for them. He cares for them. He wants them just as much as he wants the Israelites to have land and to be a blessing the nations, if you read the scriptures, he preserves land for the Edomites. And he says, Israel, that's not your land. I've reserved that for them. He does that for the Ammonites. He does that for the Moabites. He says, I've reserved land for them, and I, and I want to bless them as well. The problem is the Edomites and the Ammonites, they reject God. They rebel against God. They hate Israel, and they're fighting for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years. The Moabites, though, the lady that comes to the Moabites is a lady named Ruth. And what God does later is take Ruth. She marries an Israelite from the line of Jacob and all the way up. And through them comes Jesus, comes the Messiah. So what God does, because of Ruth's obedience to God, he actually reconciles those two people groups. God has been, doing, has been trying to do it through through the Ammonites and the Edomites as well, and they just rejected and rebelled against God. And so I show you that just because it shows how intricate God was from the very beginning and how personally involved he was in crafting a story to bring redemption and reconciliation to the world. I mean, and these stories, guys, these stories are all about hearing the voice of God, trusting the voice of God, and obeying the voice of God. And I know it's easy to look back at this and say, okay, I see how they heard God's voice, but how does that, what does that do for me? How does that even apply to me? Uh, Because like I said, circumstances, we can look back sometimes and see, but how do I do that in the middle of it? And they sought God. If you read the patriarchs and matriarchs, they just sought God. And God spoke to them and showed them how to live their lives out. And we'll we'll walk through that in a second. But these guys didn't do it perfectly. I mean, they didn't do it perfectly at all. Um, In fact, they messed up a lot. They messed up a lot. But God, in his mercy, his grace, his love, just patiently urged them on, kept urging them on, kept persevering with them. And try to show them they're part of something bigger than themselves. And that's why you're here this morning. Like I don't know why you think you're here this morning, but you're here this morning because God in his love, in his grace, and his mercy has been patiently enduring with you in your story. And he's been trying to craft a story for you. He's been trying to weave this story for you to bring redemption. You see, in all these stories, God brings redemption. And that's what brings it together at the end. And so whatever reason you're here this morning, whether someone invited you, whether you felt guilty, uh, whatever it is, um, even if you're you're pursuing God, he brought you here at this moment for a specific reason, and that's to hear that God's pursuing you, that he loves you, that his, his grace and mercy are pursuing you, and he wants you to recognize this story through a life of hearing his voice, trusting it, and obeying it. So let's look at one specific example of this. We're going to look at Abraham. And the passage Catherine read, just a quick note, said Abram. Abraham's name was Abram. God changed it to Abraham. It was exalted father. It means exalted father. And then he changed it to father of nations or of a multitude. And same thing with Sarah. So you'll see Sarah's name was Sarai, and then it, it got changed to Sarah. Both mean princess because so I don't know why the name changed. <laughs> God does things that I don't understand sometimes. So, uh, but both, Sarah's just easier for us to pronounce, maybe. I don't know. Uh, so we're going to look at Abraham today. And what Catherine read, she read three blessings, three promises in there. The first promise is a promise of land. The second promise is a promise of uh, descendants or a seed. And then the third promise is one of blessing, that Abraham was going to be a blessing to the nations okay so let's let's just talk about land for instance abraham it says here that he was called out of a bunch of things he was called out of ur he was called out of his own country his own kindred his own father's house uh to go to a to a new land to go to something something different different culturally everything's different um And he was, and he just followed that. God told him, we don't know how God told him, doesn't matter. He heard God's voice and he just went. And he was 75 years old. He was 75. That's crazy. He had lived his, he lived 75 years doing one thing and then God said, go do another thing. And he had to leave his father's house. And sometimes, uh, what God asks us to do is against cultural norms, right? Sometimes what God asks us to do is against the norms of what our family thinks for us. Uh, Sometimes what God asks us to do is against religious norms. Sometimes uh, God asks us to do crazy things, and that's what Abraham received from God. But this was a land that was promised. You know, this was the promised land, right? And the land in the Old Testament represents a few things. It represents rest, rest. It represents God's presence, that God is dwelling there. It represents a return to the Garden of Eden, which was at the beginning. What's really cool about the scriptures is we see the Garden of Eden at the beginning in Genesis with the Tree of Life. That's what makes the Garden of Eden the Garden of Eden. And then we see it at the end because the Tree of Life is in Revelation at the very end of the book. And it's like this these bookends to the whole scriptures. And the whole time... We're trying to return to this land. And Israel represents the struggle for us. They're trying to return to God's presence. They're trying to just uh, have rest and be in a land that is full of blessing. And uh, they're just trying to return to the garden, right? They're trying to return to how, how it should have been. So think, think about this. Like, where does God want to give you rest? What land has he been trying to lead you towards? What rest is God trying to give you? Where where does he want his presence to actually reside in your life? Back in two thousand nine, Missy and I were living in North Carolina, and we were praying to God. uh, We just, what do you want us? What do you want us to do? Where do you want us to go? Uh, we were just trying to hear God's voice, and uh, God called us to Toronto. He called us out of Ur, it, America, to the promised land, Canada. <laughs> yeah. Hey, no clapping. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, and uh, we got this kind of Abrahamic call. I mean, and it, was, it wasn't, like I said, we didn't hear God's voice audibly. Uh, God actually used a video to give us a heart for Canada. And then I had a map. And uh, the map, I used a map. And it wasn't like a regular world map, it was a map, like a, a missions kind of map with like stats and kind of cool graphics on it and stuff. And I wish I still had it, I, I, don't, I can't find it. Um, but and I used that map to, God used that map to have a specifically narrowed down, uh, narrow in on Toronto. And and uh, everybody thought we were crazy. I mean, we had our our lives set up. Um, Missy uh, works works and works in business, and she was working in business there. Had a great job. I was a theology professor and a youth pastor, and uh, we had a home. Uh, Missy's from Raleigh, so all her family was there. Everything was great. Uh, and so when we told people God's calling us to Toronto, they're like, why? First of all, why would you go to somewhere that's freezing cold eight months out of the year? <laughs> um, I live by the coast most of my life. And so I'd never experienced a winter like Toronto until to, uh, I moved to Toronto. Uh, and this has been like the past, the past three years, have been like the worst winters or something ever in the history uh, of the world. So... Hey, ice storm? Anybody remember the ice storm? Come on. I walked out, and my car was, like, encased in ice. I was like, this was Sunday morning. And we were like, we're still having church. (laughs) Yeah, I know we were thinking. We had to, like, chisel the sheets of ice off of it. It was crazy. And so um, everyone thought we were crazy. Like, why would you quit your jobs? Why would you sell your home? Why would you... You've, you've worked to have all this and you're just going to leave everything? Uh, why would you do that? Um, we had some people encouraging us too, uh, I think, somewhere in there. You hear the discouragement more than you hear the encouragement, unfortunately. But we knew God had a promise. We knew God had a promise for us. And it wasn't because uh, he'd given us anything special or because we were anything in particular. It was just because we decided to say, God, God, we want to listen to you and we want to do whatever you want us to do and go wherever you want us to go. It was as simple as that. And I remember the moment we said that, and it was a mistake. I'm just kidding. I remember the moment we said that, and it was and I had no idea where that would be. I was hoping for Tahiti or, you know, Fiji. Just heard about a church planner in Tahiti. And I'm like, really? Or Fiji? Was it Fiji? I'm like, how do you how do you raise funds for that? <laughs> Hey, God's coming to plant a church in Fiji. Can you support me in my, you know, glass floor hut over the water? <laughs> I mean, so uh, you know, it was all saying, God, we want, we want to do whatever you want us to do. And Abraham had that mentality. He left his country, left his friends, left his livelihood, he left his family. His father hadn't died yet. You kind of read the passage, you th- because it says Terah died right before this passage. You think he was dead before Abraham left. But the Bible is funny like that. It doesn't work chronologically a lot of times. Um, His dad was actually, if you do the math, his dad was actually lived 60 more years before he left. And this was huge because earlier in the passage right above that, it says that when Terah left Ur, he took, and this word for took is kind of like he's exercising authority over Abraham and his family. So Abraham's still under the authority of his father, and God calls him, and he says, no, I'm under the authority of somebody else. And he leaves, and his father honors that, because they recognize that even though it's, it's, it's against family norms, God transcends those things. Even though it's against cultural norms, the voice of God transcends those things. And so don't let... God's voice to you, what God is speaking to you, be dictated by your family situation, by your cultural situation, by uh, your religious situation. So much of, uh, so many times when God speaks to us uh, and it doesn't fit in our denomination or religious environment, we say, oh, that can't be God. But here at Trinity Life, we had a healing service a couple weeks ago because we said, we read James. We said, God wants us to heal people. So let's just, let's just try to pray over people for healing. Depression, anxiety, sexual brokenness, physical healing, all those things. And said, this is what God's speaking to us. Let's just step out in faith and see what happens. And that's what living a life of hear, trust, obey is. Let's, let me show you, let's show that video right now. I was going to show it later, but let's show it right now. This is a video celebrating two years for us. I love that video. Gable made that this week. Thanks, Gable. Just because it shows like what God has done by simple steps of hearing God, trusting God, and obeying. By simple steps. Like, it actually wasn't a difficult decision for us to move from where it's warm to where it's cold. It actually wasn't a difficult decision. It wasn't uh, it wasn't a, a tough decision for us to quit our jobs. It wasn't a tough decision for us to leave our home and our family and everything that we had known because we wanted to seek God and we wanted to hear him and trust him and obey him. And we knew that that's where we were going to find rest. That's where we were going to get this promise of the land and we we're going to find rest in his presence. And all that video shows me is, is it's just proof of what God's done through just simple uh, steps of faith. Now, the next promise that God gives to Abraham is a little, it's a little startling because God makes a promise to Abraham for a son and for someone, for the lineage to come through, for a seed, for descendants. He says to Abraham that I will make, in verse 2, that I'll make of you a great nation and I'll bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Now, Abraham's 75 years old, 75 Sarah is sixty-five years old. Sixty-five. Right? She's older. I'm not gonna say she's old. She's older. Uh, they're they're definitely older people. And I know what you're saying. You're like, oh, well, they live longer back then. I know people are thinking, oh, well, they lived till they're like 120. Well, even Sarah in the scripture, she's like, how is God gonna give me a child in my old age? So. I don't, I don't know, maybe, maybe old age was the same back then. She says, how's God going to do that? And she actually laughs at one point about it because she's like, this is an impossibility. Just before this passage, it says that Sarah was barren. She couldn't have kids. And that's why this promise is so startling because Abraham has lived 75 years. Sarah's lived 65 years of her life. And there's been not even the slightest inclination of her being pregnant because she can't have children. If you look at that, uh, you don't have to put the family tree back up again, but if you look at the family tree, uh, Sarah was barren. Rebecca was barren. Uh, Rachel was barren. And God blesses all of these women with, with offspring. He takes the impossible, and he makes it possible. And just to say uh, that I'm doing this, I'm doing this through you guys. And and actually, So Sarah's 65 at this point, but guess how old she is when she actually has Isaac. So he gets a promise here. The promise isn't fulfilled until Sarah is 90. She has a baby when she's 90 years old. Abraham is 100 years old when they have Isaac, the promised seed, the promised son. So they had to wait, even from this promise, they had to wait, is that 25 years? (laughs) Thanks. Uh, They had to wait 25 years before uh, the promise was fulfilled, like how's that? How's that when God speaks something to you? Like we get so impatient, right? We get so impatient. God, why aren't? Why am I not married? Why don't I have a boyfriend? Why don't I have the job that I want? Why don't I have uh, more money? Why don't I have whatever it is? And here Abraham had to wait seventy-five years and then another 25 after God explicitly spoke the promise to him. Here's, here's just a little aside, a little biblical um, aside. Um, he says to Abraham here that I'm going to make your name great. And just reading it, you're like, oh, that's cool. He's going to make his name great. But if you read it in the context of Genesis 1 through 11, the Tower of Babel happens in Genesis 11. And in the Tower of Babel, the reason they come together to build this tower to the heavens is in order to make themselves a great name. They come together and they say, we want to make for ourselves a great name. And God says, no. And that's when they, he scatters them into different languages. And then Shem comes along. You guys remember what Shem means? Name. So Shem comes along just right after that. There's, and it says, I'm choosing this guy. Out of the three sons, God says, I'm choosing name to make a name. And then Abraham comes along and he says, I'm going to make for you a great name. I'm going to do it. You don't need to do it yourself. I'm going to make your name great. Like, that's just cool to me. I don't know what it has to do with anything, but that's just cool, right, that God is so intricately involved and he works like that. And, and then we see Abraham. He's considered the father of three religions today, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, all, all of these religions trace themselves back to Abraham as their father. He's the father of. If you think about that today, he's the father of entire nations. Entire nations would would trace their lineage back to Abraham. But if you follow Abraham's life, you know, um, you'll see he didn't do it perfectly. But you'll see that he he did hear, trust, and obey. But sometimes he did things on his own. Sometimes he was like, the promise isn't happening quick enough i got to speed this up. Sometimes he doubted, and he said, Hey, God, can you reconfirm this? Because uh, I've been waiting for, <laughs> for years. Sometimes he got scared, and he didn't trust God, and he lied about certain things. So Abraham isn't doing it perfectly. Like this, You're not, you're not going to do it perfectly. But what he did do was learn through, through experience. He learned to just hear, trust, and obey. And it culminated really in Genesis 22. Uh, at this point in his life, he's seen so many fulfillments happen. The land, he's, he's in the promised land now. He has a son now. By the time you get to Genesis 22, uh, if you read the other passages, when he goes, he goes before kings, and they respect Abraham like he is a king. Like they actually give him things. Um, he goes before pharaohs, and the same thing happens. And so Abraham, like all these promises have been fulfilled to a certain extent in his life up to this point. And in Genesis 22, God says to Abraham, take your son Isaac, who is, uh, I don't know how old he is at this point, but he's somewhere probably in his 20s. And he says, take your son Isaac and go sacrifice him on Mount Moriah. And if you'd taken that passage and put it earlier in a Genesis 12, 13, you'd see Abraham saying... Uh, God, I don't think this is, I don't know if this is right. You know, maybe you should confirm this for me again. Or maybe I should do this another way because that's what he actually does and that's why Ishmael gets born. Um, But instead, the passage says he does it. God says it, he does it, and he just trusts that God is going to fulfill whatever he wants to fulfill. And the thing is here, Abraham isn't just sacrificing his son. He's actually sacrificing Genesis 12. He's sacrificing this entire promise that God's already given him. And so it should make him question, but he doesn't. He goes and does it, and then God stops him, and he honors Abraham for his faith, and he reaffirms the promises that he gave to him in Genesis 12. And so it's like a book ends on Abraham's life. Promises, and then God reaffirms them through this life of hearing, trusting, and obeying. And it's really, really awesome to see that in Abraham's life. And then through this seed, through these descendants, God gives his final promise. And he says in verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's a pretty big promise. He says all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All of them, every single one of them shall be blessed through you. And that's that's through, that's through the Messiah, right? This is through who's going to come through his line. But he said, it starts with you, Abraham, because you have heard me, you have trusted me, and you've obeyed me. And that's a huge promise. Um, a huge part of my and Missy's call to Toronto was God saying to us, I didn't make you just for this little segment of society here that is your life. I actually made you for something bigger than that. I made you for the world. I made you to uh, do something in the world. And not just for this, but for this. When we were... So 2009, I said, God calls us to Toronto. And I knew immediately. We'd been praying, we'd been seeking God. And immediately I knew that God was calling us. And I tell Missy, and she's like... She's like, yeah, and we talk about it, we pray about it. Two months later is our five-year anniversary. Um, this was, yeah, it was still 2009, yeah. Five-year anniversary, I was, uh, I just finished my comprehensive exams in the PhD program. I was writing my dissertation. It was like a just big time of celebration. We knew we wanted to start a family. Like all these things happen. And so we've been saving up for five years to go to Europe. So we went to Europe for our five-year anniversary. Uh, we hit London, Paris, and then Rome over, like, a jam-packed 12- to 14-day span. Um, we were walking everywhere. We were—I mean, I've, I know people who are from London who haven't seen the things we've seen. We just, like, packed out the schedule. Just, like, from 6 a.m. to, like, midnight, we were just doing all kinds of stuff. So by the time we get to Rome, we're exhausted, and we're just wiped out— and uh, Rome is a walking city, so just a lot of walking. And so we go back one of the days in Rome, and we go to our, our hotel, and Missy falls asleep. And I can't sleep because all I'm thinking about is God calling us to a country we hadn't been to, a city we'd never seen before. Like, I had never been to Toronto. I'd never been to Canada. Um, all I knew was I needed to get a snowmobile, and... Learn French, and both those things are wrong. <laughs> it's like everything I knew about Canada was wrong. Thank you, US history, public school education. Thank you, America. Uh, and so we, like, I was like, how is this going to happen? And on top of that, I had no idea how to plan a church, <laughs> I had no idea where to start. Uh, we had zero relationships in Canada, zero relationships in Toronto. We had zero relationships in Toronto when we moved here. Did you guys know that? Like, we didn't know anybody in Toronto. It was crazy. And, and so, anyways, all that was going through my mind. I was like, how are we going to do this? This was a month and a half later, and I'm already doubting. <laughs> We're like, I knew immediately. And I was like, oh, God, I don't know. <laughs> what are you calling us to? This is crazy. Uh, and so I couldn't sleep. So I'm just praying and just like fervently seeking god and i say i say to god i say, i need something like i can't do this like i need a sign i need some sort of confirmation i feel like gideon like putting out this fleece i need some sort of confirmation that you've called us to toronto and that we're supposed to go there and plant a church i just need that and so afterwards we get up we go to dinner Uh, That night, it's a a beautiful restaurant. It's called La Scala, like above this piazza in Rome. And we're on this like two-person table with a balcony, all this stuff. It's like Italy, Rome. We're eating Italian food. It's super romantic, right? We're celebrating our anniversary. It's, It's amazing. And then this couple comes and ruins the whole moment. So they stop at our table. It's this older couple. He's probably... 60 and she's or actually he looked that way but he's probably in his 50s and she's in her 70s and because it was a a son and and his mom and they stopped by our table and and they're like hey are you guys staying at the Modigliani and I was like yeah so (laughs) like I'm trying to have a romantic uh, moment here with my wife (laughs) I didn't say that but that's what I'm thinking right like how do I get this guy to go away and he's like yeah we saw you there and I'm like cool (laughs) <laughs> and, and he's like where are you guys from and whenever I travel overseas uh, I'm just like oh we're we're from the states I should say oh we're from Canada and that's what I do now <laughs> I say I'm from Canada because um, they treat you better and so I was like oh we're from the states and and he's like oh whereabouts and I said oh North Carolina and he's like oh we we're from North Carolina I was like really? He's like, yeah, we used to live in Raleigh. And I was like, oh, cool. That's when I like, kind of perked up. I was like, yeah, we, lived in, we're, we live in Raleigh right now. And we started talking, talk, talking about Raleigh and he's, he's from this area that has grown a lot. And so we're talking about that. I was in seminary there. we talking about all that. And just talking, talking about all, all, all those things. And, and then they're about to leave. And I was like, oh, wait, wait, wait. Um, where do you guys live now? And he said, well, we live in Toronto. And I was like, what? you moved from Raleigh to Toronto? He was like, yeah. He was like, it's amazing. We love Toronto. He started talking about Toronto and how amazing it was and all those things. And it was just instant confirmation for me. All because I just asked God to do something. And I've never doubted since then. I mean, that was a month and a half in. um, And it's just such a beautiful moment for us in hearing God's voice and trusting Him and then obeying it. And seeing him just love us and weave a story for us halfway around the world from where we were. And uh, God wants that for you. He's intricately involved in your life, whether you see it or not. He's intricately involved in your life, whether you see it or not. You just need to open your eyes and open your heart to it. God is speaking to you. He's calling you. He's pursuing you. He wants you as his son, as his daughter. He wants that relationship with you. And God has made us in his image to multiply that image across the globe. That's why I say, like, God's called us something bigger. He's made you for something so much bigger than your little segment of society. This week, Ben, you guys can can come back up. Um. This week, I was riding in the car. Our, we have two daughters, a five-year-old and a four-year-old, Emerson and Reagan. And uh, Emerson's an SK, and Reagan started JK this week. She already seems smarter to me. <laughs> um, she started JK. My, our little baby is in school now. And uh, I was driving to her school this week, and she said, Daddy, guess what I want to be when I grow up? I was like, wow, I didn't know kids your age talked about this kind of stuff. And she said, I want to be an astronaut. And I was like, really? Cool, that's, that's awesome. Um, I wanted to be an astronaut. And she's, like, asking me to help her get there. Do you guys have dreams like that growing up? Astronaut, firefighter, actor. I want to be an actor at one point. But I've always loved, like, space, and I wanted, I wanted a... You know, to go to the moon, and she and I said, "Why do you want to be an astronaut?" And she said, "Well, I want to go to the moon. I want to see the planets." And I know what you're saying. She's four. Of course, she has dreams like that. Of course, she wants to go to the moon. Like she doesn't know what it takes to get there. She's got to learn science and math. She's got to become a scientist or a pilot. She's got to um, go through rigorous training. She has to get accepted into programs. She has to go to lots of school. And even after all that, she probably has to be selected to go. And so, like any good father would, I told her all of that and killed her dream right there. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. No, actually... (laughs) Actually, I told her... Sweetie, if that's what you want to do, I want to help you get there. And you see, we have a good father and he wants to help you get there. Like He wants the moon for you. He wants the planets for you. And he's made you for something so much bigger than your problems, than your concerns, than your desires, whether they're good or bad. He's made you for something so much bigger than that. And he's calling us to something that we can't attain ourselves. Like Abraham and Sarah, they couldn't do these things on their own. Abraham couldn't secure a land on his own. Abraham couldn't even have a kid on his own. God had to do that. He couldn't be a blessing to the nations on his own. God had to do that. And it wasn't that God has to do it, God wanted to do that. He said, Abraham, I'm speaking to you. Do you want this? And Abraham stepped out in faith. He heard God, trusted, and obey. He said, yeah, I want that for my life. And God wants that for you. And a life of hear, trust, obey is a life of pursuing things that we could only attain through God working in us and through us and for us and on our behalf. It's bigger than that. And the beauty of the Christian life is this, that Jesus accepts us with all of our flaws Jesus accepts us with all of our sin Jesus accepts us with all of our weaknesses and he chooses us to reconcile the world to himself on his behalf because he's given us his righteousness he's taken your garments of, of filth and he's placed on you robes of dazzling righteousness Revelation says and guess what you can't stain those things no matter how you mess up. God isn't there with scales of righteousness. He's just there with robes of righteousness. And he's given those to you to say, "Just, just live for me. I love you. I'm a good father. I want to give you good things. And he chooses to do that through us. And he's calling you today. He wants to accomplish dreams in you. He wants to use you as a blessing to bless others. He's calling you maybe to believe in him today he's calling you to trust in him today whether you consider yourself a Christian or not he's speaking to you through me right now like how amazing is that that God uses weak empty vessels like me and you to speak to others and say God wants the best for you because we see it all over the pages of this he's not giving up on you and he hasn't given up on you and he made you for something so much bigger than, than your little segment of society.